Leonard Cohen suggested, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. This viral crack gives us a chance to create something new and better. So let's talk about back to different and let the light in. Here this morning with John Varney, um, yet another um, orphan of the internet like me. We stumbled across each other. Um, I think I responded to something you wrote, John, on LinkedIn. And then one thing led to another. And so here we are. And we've been just moving along through a whole bunch of conversations about maybe 27 different topics so far. But I didn't want to get too far into that before I introduced you to my audience, I guess. And I'd like to start, as I usually do, with asking you to just kind of tell your story. How did you get here? <laughs> what a lovely question that is. I think I start by, you know, I was happily living in suburbia in uh, Kingston-upon-Thames uh, with a small practice, an architectural practice, which was lovely because it gave me the freedom to put everything into the back of the car, including the children and drive off to the mountains, which was another area of interest of mine. I was a mountaineer in those days, in my 30s, I think it was, yeah, there. And in fact, I'd given, I really more or less gave up mountaineering when the children came along uh, because it was, it felt very indulgent to be doing all that stuff, which was high risk. Uh, and so, Anyway, at this time, I was also in my architectural studies looking at National Park Study Centres, which had just been kind of invented at that time by the government. And I was really surprised to find that the people who ran national parks thought that what you should study were things like interpretation and signposting and conservation and so on, whereas... To my mind, what a study centre in a national park should be was a, a place for people to go and meditate, almost. You know, to, to go to discover a deeper connection bet between themselves and these beautiful areas that had been designated as being of national importance. Now, because that didn't seem to be happening eventually, I thought, well, I better just do this myself. So, which was a kind of crazy idea. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, uh, my wife and I decided, yes, we'd, we'd give this a go. Uh, and uh, so we, we abandoned our suburban bliss, uh, which was a bit hard on our children, really. Uh, but we went off on a course for a year, uh, this was a course with J.G. Bennett, and I might talk about him a little bit more later. Uh, a 12-month course, residential, <clears throat> studying Gurdjieff and, well, studying all kinds of things, but it was about spiritual awakening and personal development. And that got me to, uh, you know, we did that course, and then I decided we'd never go back to our house because if we did, we'd be stuck. We'd, we'd, we'd just follow the suburban lifestyle and, and we'd never get away from it again. 
uh, which was a kind of crazy decision on my part. But So we didn't go back. We spent a year looking for property, eventually found this place, High Trend House, where I still am. Uh, we, we thought it would be a five-year project, uh, but that was uh, more than 40 years ago. Uh, so we came here to the countryside, out in the wilds, uh, not too far out in the wilds, uh, close enough for people to come for the weekend anyway. Uh, and we worked on development with uh, inner development and spiritual development, I suppose, and also of development in the sense of learning to live in the country. Where in the early days, we we tried to be self-sufficient, and then we realized that we'd bought the wrong property for that. Uh, and in any case, as things began to mature, uh, we aimed to work with people who were the influencers rather than the end users. So instead of dealing with people who were falling through the system of, in one way or another, we wanted to influence the influencers, so we started to work with managers. Uh, so we became a management development centre in the 80s uh, and have uh, and worked in the time since then with many management groups, helping them to develop their strategies, helping them to be more, more able to do what they're setting out to do. Uh, in that way, I think we've been over the years, a major contributor to uh, to to well-being, indirectly, you know, because because many medium and large organisations have, have been through our program and come out well, almost enlightened. They don't want to make any. They don't want to make any rash claims, right? Well, indeed, it's uh, it's very difficult. Enlightening people is is a tough business. You ask the Pope. <laughs> we don't we don't uh, talk anymore. <laughs> well, we had we had spoken about several things. We'd spoken about this leadership as meeting making, and we'd also talked about heroes. I think. And we'd also talked about cycles as opposed to linear, I don't know, framing yes. of reality. So any of those three that you want to uh, enrich our understanding of, I, I will happily turn over my control to you again. Well, <clears throat> somewhere around the early part of this century, I think around about 2005, uh, I thought that I should move on. I, we had the business had grown. We had a residential centre. We had a uh, a management development management consultancy practice mm -hmm. that uh, operated all over the country and uh, odd excursions out of the country, a little bits in in Europe and America and so on. Not very much, but uh, yeah. So we, we felt we'd arrived. Mm -hmm. uh, we d we were doing this good work uh, to, with many people, uh, and 
spinning off other aspects of business. So we had a, a products business that was uh, selling gadgets, I suppose you might say, or executive toys, uh, and particularly a thinking methodology, which we called logo visual thinking. Uh, and that was, that was quite effective. It, it, it was a, it produced a kind of magical effect, uh, and it was. I made it the mainstay of the uh, consulting practice to use this tool. Uh, so that was really good. We we also spun off a, a little outdoor development business, and uh, and the products business has, has gone now. My son runs that, or one of my sons runs that uh, in nearby town, uh, mostly selling whiteboards and bits of portable furniture and so on that that people use now that they're they're having many people working from home when people come in they need to make the place flexible and safe from the covid 19 and so on so he's selling stuff that helps that aspect of workspace so so your your insight about the nature of functional as opposed to dysfunctional leadership which we were talking about earlier how could you if you could if you could narrow that down so that somebody who's listening to the podcast would would slap their head and go god i wish i would have thought of that um what would you do with that well what I learned, I mean, when, when I started out, which was in the 80s, and I started to look at you know, what's been written about leadership, and it wasn't a, an awful lot. It wasn't very enlightening. There was John Adair's writing stuff on his frameworks for leadership, but leadership was what leaders did. And that, that's a rather crippling and limiting view of leadership. Uh, it identifies leaders with the power structures and of course that that's become increasing the case in the last 20 years more and more we talk about leaders and those are guys that have been elected or put in positions of power and we we, we call them the leaders and we expect them to have all the answers which is a bit harsh and unfair but so what I discovered as I was working with leadership teams, as they were called, right. uh, and which are often not teams and, and not leaders either, <laughs> uh, you know, but, but people in that position, and that was their title, and, and our job was to help them to be effective, to do what they thought they were put there to do. Uh, but what we discovered was that... There's, there is another kind of leadership. It isn't to do with power, uh, and and it's not what leaders do. There's another kind of leadership, which is uh, something that happens between people. It's not in a person. It's it's between the people. It's to do with their relationships. And when you get this right, there's a dynamic flow of energy and resources and you organize around 
the value adding stream. So you get a flow of everything going towards achieving what, what the organization is there to do. And that's when that happens, it's marvelous. It, it cuts out so much waste, so much friction. You know, it just flows like a, it's like pulling the stopper out of a, a dam and watching the torrent flow down the valley. Nobody's having to push it. It just goes of its own. And this is what happens when leadership is really working. So people don't necessarily see this because you, you open the newspaper and immediately they talk about the leaders should do this or the leaders have said this or the leaders have failed to do something else. It's They, they identify leadership with leaders. Whereas if you disassociate, then something else can happen between people. Yeah? And this something that can happen between people can be nurtured. But the people who are nurturing it, you might call them leaders, but actually the leadership is not in them. It's, it's in the relationships between other people. Now, this, is, this was, to me, quite a discovery. And, and I think that that's what the way that I worked was to coach this kind of relationship into being. Uh, yeah, and so that's, I mean, that made me enough money to live on for 20 or 30 years. And that, so that was, that was quite good. But uh, so to say that in 2005, I want to find somebody to step into my shoes. I thought my shoes were very comfortable and capacious and somebody would eagerly step into them but that didn't happen <laughs> that didn't happen and we said we had a you know shortly after that we had a big financial crisis and uh so i was stuck at that time nobody wants to buy a business in a crisis unless it's very cheap uh and i didn't want to just sell out and see that see the thing that i'd built up just wrecked and converted into houses or something. So uh, soon after that, I mean, apart from anything else, we'd bought a house in France uh, with a little legacy that we got, thinking that when we sold up here, we'd go there. But as we didn't manage to sell up here, we, we're still here, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is a wonderful place to be in a pandemic, I have to say. So anyway, we so we, we, we were stuck here. And I, if I thought actually I should, what I should do was to write, you know, write a book, uh, right. trying to incorporate all that I had learned and seen and understood uh, in this extraordinary little bit of career that I'd had as a as a management guru. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, the book writing turned out to be a bit more difficult than I thought. Uh, and the first one, although I finished it, was too long for the publishers and publishing isn't what it used to be. So uh, so I had to write another book. So I've written a shorter book, which is the one that I mentioned to you earlier, which is has the title as, of Leadership as Meaning Making. Now, Leadership as Meaning Making was a title I'd attached to an article that I wrote long ago, 
yeah, in 2006 or something, eight or nine, I can't remember. Uh, now, I googled this title, Leadership is Meaning Making, and suddenly I discovered that somebody else had used this title prior to that. Yep. Uh, and in fact, somebody, somebody was uh, Wilfred Drath, uh, and his, he wrote a book called, uh, he wrote the article and then subsequently wrote a book which he called The Deep Blue Sea. Strangely enough, because that's an odd title for a book which is a profound document about leadership. And in Bill Drath's book, he has three stages of, of leadership, or three frameworks of leadership. Uh, one which is the control and command kind of leadership, right. which is the most popular. Another which evolved from that, which is a kind of, um, a kind of leadership where you negotiate. There is still a nominal leader, uh, but this leader uh, negotiates with others. They work together. It's, you might say it's collegiate leadership. They're still pulling the levers of power, as it were, but they're doing it collectively. Uh, so that's, I would call that kind of good, effective senior teamwork, really. Okay. Um, it's, it's a kind of leadership. And then there's the other, which I think is close to what I'm talking about, which we are on the cusp of, I think. As Draft says, you won't lose these earlier kinds of leadership, but you will have these, you'll have yet a new form of leadership, which is more to do with that flow that I was talking about. It's a, it's a more of a spontaneous kind of relationship with team people, which I think allows you to have self-organizing teams self-organizing communities so self-organization is is a way of organizing in which the leadership is not one of control and command and it's not one of that second order that bill draft talks about but it's something much more spontaneous that is a flow between people so that's about leadership and, and leadership i think is is exceedingly important today because it's quite likely that we're on the cusp of cataclysmic change with um, a breakdown of the economic system, uh, a breakdown of, of the international agreements and you know, the system of government nations uh, not getting on with each other because we would say of lack of leadership and yet so this new form of relationship relational leadership is what bill draft calls it and i would call it leadership as flow this new form is there waiting to be explored waiting to be embraced you know it's it, people that here and there people are doing it but it hasn't spread far enough and it certainly hasn't permeated the corridors of power uh, of, of, of politics. And that's where it, it's really needed. 
So that's about leadership. And the other thing, that the other aspect of the title of my book, which was uh, the subtitle is Take the Hero's Journey to Transformation. So this, again, comes out of, you know, the, of everything that I had to put together to run a successful small practice on leadership and team development uh, is to do with the recognition of cyclic patterns. Now, when I studied architecture, I remember quite distinctly realizing that in architecture over the centuries, there have been cycles. And you can see the, the pattern of cycles. They, a new cycle begins, somebody does some experiments and it seems to latch on. So, I mean, this has been going on ever since we lived in caves or wherever we lived. Like that nice background behind you, people <laughs> lived in caves there. But later than that, they actually built buildings. And I believe up on the mesa, above that where you are, there, there, are, there, are, there were buildings up there too. Right. Um, so <clears throat> the history of architecture is one of cycles overlapping. And you start with some small experiments and it gets very popular and then everybody wants that style. And then people get a bit bored with it eventually. And, and you know, the creative guys think, ah, oh, you know, I can't build another bloody Gothic cathedral. I've got to do something different, you know. So they, they break out. They First, they elaborate it. They, they, they elaborate it to a, almost a ridiculous extent. And then eventually it falls out of fashion because somebody starts the next curve. And so it goes on through history. Now, the same kind of cyclic pattern is there in all of human affairs. Why? Because we are living beings and we have life cycles and we are amazingly enough, you, you, you wouldn't believe it, would you, when you, until you think about it, that even today our businesses go on cycles that to do with the amount of time the earth takes to travel around the sun. We also have reporting and, and, and payment that are to do with the cycles of the moon traveling around the earth monthly. You get a monthly salary. You don't think, oh, this is my cyclic reward. But here we are. All our affairs are governed by these cyclic patterns. You, you have, and in your own life cycle, you you start small as an infant, which we all started there. Uh, and then you, you, you rebel a little bit, you know, you have your rebellious period and eventually you settle down. You know, that's another part of your cycle. Uh, probably in your later years, you either go loopy and spend your kids inheritance on a trip around the world, or you, you, you do some, you do some, you, with a bit of luck, you leave a legacy, but you've been in, around that cycle, and that's the same same cycle for every human being. You know, we all live cyclic patterns. Our affairs are cyclic. So the 
I was looking at the psychic patterns and I, I picked up Joseph Campbell's idea, that pattern of a cycle right. uh, of the hero's journey. Um, and the hero's journey really, which Campbell drew from myths and legends from all over the world, from teachings and religions and so on, from every corner of, of the world. Uh, and he said there's a monomyth. It's a, it's a pattern behind, I mean, he called it the hero's journey, and, and that's to do with it being the hero of a story. But that's not a hero in the sense of uh, uh, celebrity. Right. He's, not, he's not talking about celebrity. He's talking about the developmental journey, the soul's journey, you might say. This is what Campbell is talking about. The soul's journey from ignorance to unity with the all. You know, so, in in my book, I, I just it, it all started by a recognition of this thing about cyclic patterns. But in my book, I I, I wanted to look at the cyclic pattern as I'd experienced it. And as it uh, as it's reflected in the monomyth, but also as everybody needs to take their hero's journey, and it's you might not do it as a single journey. It might be many journeys, and it might be a journey that doesn't take you anywhere externally, but is taking you somewhere internally. You are developing internally. The journey is an inner one of a quest for meaning and when you take your quest for meaning then you've got something that can attract others in some way that it's that it's that quest that attracts others to take their quest so we all every human being needs to take their hero's journey to completion it's a journey towards maturity, not in the sense of oldness, <laughs> uh, not just age, but actually maturing as a integrated, full human being. So, and you might say that this is what, what is the purpose of life? Not to make a big pile of money. Well, for some people that might suffice, but for most people, they're wanting meaning. You want you want to have meant something. Can you lie? Can you imagine lying on your deathbed and saying, "I wish I'd more made more money"? No, because you'd have to leave it, and you're about to lose it all anyway when you die. But to lie on your deathbed and say, "Wow, I did contribute some meaning. My life meant something." Now that I think is much more satisfying each person can make their own choice about that but i think that most people want to do meaningful work they want to live a meaningful life and therefore there is a quest for meaning this is what campbell was talking about this is what drath was talking about a quest for meaning and so we look we're looking for something that is meaningful and if Drath and I are right, then this is to do with working together to create meaning. 
it's not something that we're happy to have handed down to us from on high as it might have been if we were living in ancient Egypt that might do the Pharaoh told us what was meaningful but nowadays we want life to be meaningful for the whole of humanity and we're looking looking for that meaning and if we want to be able to help others to find that meaning through what I'm calling the flow of leadership then we need to make those journeys ourselves to become whole and complete and integrated as human beings. Well, let me see if I can uh, wrap up what I hear as two parallel streams in your conversation. A couple of things first is uh, to see what Ben Zander calls shining eyes um, in your face and see the passion that you bring to this and how important this is to you is um, is a pleasure for me, number one. Number two, what I hear is a confluence, a, a flowing together of two things at, 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 at least in what you were talking about. One is the idea that leadership is not something that's in people, it's between people. It's that, it's that sense of flow. Um, Margaret Wheatley, who's a wonderful writer, says that power in organizations is the capacity generated by relationships. And I got to coach a group and the, the uh, woman who was leading the group as they reorganized and focused on shared, shared leadership. And it was fascinating to watch because at what they discovered <clears throat> is that the more leadership you share, the more there is. And if you withhold it, it cannot create more, number one. The second thing is what you talked about, um, <clears throat> which I see as a sort of same theme but different focus, which is the uh, intrinsic part of the cyclic journey you know, we go back to Gilgamesh and we go back to, you know, Henry V. And we have we have all these stories throughout all of human history and probably prehistory, too, about that cycle. And 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 the cycle, though, it isn't the same for all of us. It has the same possibility for for all of us. So those two things, it seems to me, one of one of the uh, precepts under which I do my work is that um, we we all have default settings to be curious, to entertain challenge and discovery, and to embrace shared leadership. So part of what our our challenge is is to create a context in our cultures and societies and organizations where those three things are allowed to come forth. Because if indeed they are default settings, as I suspect they are, all they need is a safe place to show up and they will. So I have a final question for you. Um, I asked you previously and you looked a little alarmed because I think you suspected that there was going to be a trick here. <laughs> and that trick is, at some point in the future, when John Varney is no longer here to bother his progeny, <laughs> your children 
are talking to your grandchildren, to their children, and they're sitting around and the grandchildren say, mom and dad, how did your dad deal with 2020? We hear it was pretty tough. How did John or grandpa or papa or whatever they, they call you, how did he do? So what would, what, what would they tell their kids about how you handled this extraordinary transition in our, in our world? That's a good question. I, 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 I want to sit down and hear them answer it. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I mentioned earlier on, we, we gave up suburban bliss to set off on this journey with my then wife, you know, because, that, because she also, um, in another twist of the story, went off elsewhere. We get on quite well, but she lives in France now, and, and I live here with Bernadette. Um, so the the boys, they were both boys, and and they were uh, ten and twelve at the, at the time that that we left suburbia to set off on this crazy journey, which I suppose was part of my uh, hero's journey. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and perhaps my wife too, so both of us went 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 separately, but we've been on parallel lines in a way. Uh, so, what would they? What would these next generation think? Uh, well, I guess I you know, I really don't know what they think and uh, 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 what they would say uh, because they paid a, a price. Uh, and I did mention this to my elder son quite recently about the price we had extracted from our children to to go off on this journey. Uh, and you know, I don't think he ever thought that he paid a price. That was that was rather comforting. Um, but so I, to get to the nub of your question, what will what might they say about me and what I did in twenty twenty? Well, I've got this book coming out, so I think that's going to be useful. Uh, through all my, you know, LinkedIn and other media and so on, uh, and through various organisations, I'm trying to encourage people to expect major breakdown of systems and to be prepared to step up and organise, uh, bring people into relationship to to help rebuild and to help rebuild in a way that's better than what has fallen apart. Uh, you know, so we, we, we're in a time of crisis, of, of particular global pandemic, but of also the rise of authoritarianism in politics all over the world, the, the climate crisis that is looming, uh, the fact that we you know, people are still destroying rainforests as fast as they can. Uh, all the ills of the modern world and the inequality and the, and the fact that when we've destroyed somebody's ability to make a living because we've changed their climate, we, we don't want them knocking on our door as refugees. All these ills of the modern world can be addressed 
and I'm sure we will address them, but it will depend upon people stepping into leadership. Not to be leaders, but to stepping into leadership and allowing that flow and enabling that flow of leadership by which very large numbers of people will begin to live more harmoniously together and more harmoniously with all the rest of the living planet. All those other life forms, you know, you just, uh, you live in the United States where we look at pictures of the way cattle are raised in some areas and it's, it, you know, it's, it's appalling. You know, that's your particular, one of your particular crimes, you, you as a nation. We have our own, I'm sure, and so do all the others. You know? but, yes, but we can, instead of doing that, we can start to look at things and live in a more integrated way, integrated with nature of which we're a part, instead of living apart from nature, to the cost of all of all of life so i i'm encouraging people to be prepared to play a role i'm only a small voice but uh you know if there are enough of us with small voices we will be heard well there's a there's a, a saying from africa that when spider webs unite they can even halt the charging lion. So you and I, my friend, are spinning our little webs and, and we're doing our part. Thank you, John. Thank you for your time. Um, thank you for your passion. Um, part of what I am uplifted by, by this tsunami, derecho, whatever you want to call it, is that there are more and more voices who are fighting the good fight. And, yes. and that's, maybe that's what your grandchildren will tell their friends, is that my grandpa fought the good fight. Yeah. Thanks for giving us a listen. As we move forward, with this situation, with this thing that's us, let's never forget that we are all in this together. No matter what else happens, we're all in this together. Thank you.